sounds nuts to me. I mean, would it be cool to see the Titanic from up close? Sure. Did do I love Crimson Tide and U five seven one and Hunt for Red October? Yeah, of course. But um, you know, I like Terminator Two Judgment Day too. That doesn't mean I want to fight the machines. <laughs> John, how much would I have to pay you to get into a a tube of said, uh, especially given the po possibility that you would have to uh, urinate and defecate into bags? Uh, while listening to to uh, Celine Dion on a loop, that sounds kind of like Bonnaroo, but with just different music, I guess. <laughs> but uh, not that I've ever been. But <laughs> hey, look, it it sounded like uh, in concept, it sounds kind of cool. But I think it depends how many times has that thing gone down there. I mean, if this is a more novel thing that's done a, a few of these trips, then uh, it may be a little more touch and go. But uh, if it's something that's more like an, you know, an amusement park ride that's been tried and true, I think it would be kind of a cool thing to see. Uh, you know, I saw a little bit on the, uh, I think it was Today Show this morning, and uh, it, it did look like very cozy in that, which uh, uh, in my my early 40s, I don't know if I have the uh, flexibility to sort of sit cross-legged for, you know, a few hours. But, um, <laughs> Just imagine yeah. the the smell. I mean, oh, I know man. it's, a, I know it's a very serious thing, but, and, and, you know it's a very serious thing but i have to appreciate that the twitter uh did not pause in any respect uh out of out of any kind of uh respect, sympathy for, yeah. <laughs> for those yeah yeah respect and twitter two things that don't really go together yeah. uh the the best comment i thought i saw was if i was a billionaire i probably wouldn't trust uh trust myself uh in inside the juicero of sub of submarines <laughs> um, but then immediately the response was no but these juicero was over engineered that's what that's what the problem was <laughs> this has kind of the opposite where you're supposed to lean back and it forth it was too to... good yeah, <laughs> exactly exactly if only it was the juicero of submarines <laughs> well <clears throat> um well we, we can wish them the the best and and hope that that they are Absolutely. that they are found and that they are found safely god willing um, yeah but uh, but yeah, I uh, I definitely I would not as someone who does not uh, naturally uh, like uh, any kind of situation that is claustrophobic. Uh, this, this it does sound very nightmarish, and in fact, bears a resemblance to a nightmare horror game called Iron Lung, which you can purchase on uh, on Steam. Uh, went went viral. You you are in a a small uh, rickety submarine with one porthole, navigating li a literal ocean of blood. Uh, so it's it's a it's kind of a, a throwback uh, horror game that went uh, very popular. I don't, I don't even like compact cars, you know. So I, it'd be <laughs> hard pressed to get me into one of those. Yeah, don't, uh, Uber XL is is about as, uh, as, as exactly about as compact as I as I want to get. Well, gentlemen, this is Thunderdome, and we have plenty to talk about. And I think that you know we have to start with. Uh, you know, the two uh, big dogs on on either side. And that's, you know, the follow on to uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, arraignment uh, on this on this Jack Smith uh, indictment. Uh, and he decides, uh, perhaps against uh, the advice of legal counsel, I would assume that any responsible legal counsel would tell him not to do this. He decides to sit down for uh, a pretty lengthy interview, a uh, cut in, into two parts with Fox's Brett Baer where he says a lot of things and has asked uh, a lot of questions about this. Uh, I'm curious as to your reactions to the, to the interview and to his comments about the, the documents and the papers. But before that, there was this thing that Brett Baer did, which frankly he could have gotten from our own conversations uh, about this litany of the former cabinet members and, mm -hmm. uh, and politicians who are now either running against 
uh, Trump or who have broken with him or who won't endorse him or he he's called uh, all sorts of names. Uh, they ran through it for about 90 seconds um, and basically said, why did you hire all these people? Uh, Dan, what did you think of his response? Yeah, I thought it was bad. I mean, I actually thought it was it was it, he sounded weaker on that question than he did on his very dubious legal case. Like, I think everybody, every reasonable or objective party who looks at the legal case with even a even a lay, layman's knowledge and certainly most of the legal experts think that he's kind of dead to rights on the charges. But his response to that was actually, in my view, more coherent than this more damning charge, which is. You know, all the great people, you know, you, you said you were going to hire to serve you in your first term have basically to a man and woman turned against you, um, including including serious people like Barr, who I think it's important to note, like, was all aboard Trump's project to drain the swamp. I mean, you can't you certainly can't argue that a guy like that um, was was working at cross purposes while he served as attorney general. I mean, his red line was the stuff that happened after the election, essentially. Um, and that's a pretty reasonable red line. So he was on board with the the sort of deep state, um, uh, you know, targeted assassinations. And so when people even at that level are turning on you, you know, pretty, pretty definitively, um, you know, you need a, a strong response for it. I, 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 I don't pretend to know what a good response to that charge is, but I think he definitely sputtered. I mean, he he dropped a lot of the old Trump cliches strong very strong people very strong people well i think you know a good follow-up would be who you know you know fill your cabinet for us he did it with the judges list right in 2016 so let's hear who's going to be in your cabinet um and you know i could see that cutting both ways i think i'm, I'm sure he could come up with uh, names that would excite a lot of his base but you know the the in turn we talked about this i think last week or the week before the you know, governance, even from a small government, you know, reformist, populist, NatCon, or small government perspective, requires people who can expertly manipulate the bureaucracy, even if it's even if the end of that manipulation is to destroy it or reduce it. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be, you know, that's that's a question all, everyone on that debate stage, I think, should ask him um, for sure. I think you're giving him too much credit. Dan, on that his project was ever to drain the swamp. I mean, my sense has always been that it's it's a project of self-aggrandizement, and you know the country's along for the ride. Um, you know, if, if 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 Bill Barr hadn't been you know been for the things that he had been for, and I think Bill Barr is one of the really great heroes of of the Trump administration. I think Don McGahn is another one of those. Um, you know, former former White House counsel and you know the architect of a lot of the the judicial uh, work that had been done and you know done well again you have to give the administration you know credit and you know give the president credit for for saying yes on a lot of those nominees but uh, you know to to go after Barr the way that he did um, for somebody who executed so much for him I mean it shows that it's it's not a, it's about personality and it's not about politics or policy. Um, I think I think Trump is a guy that you know would have been comfortable if this if you know if he would had been born in you know in Moscow in the 1930s you know would have wanted to have his you know statue and you know in in iron you know standing in the middle of one of the squares it's it's you know it's this sort of you know mentality of wanting to you know be kind of almost a monarch yeah but um, but I think that just to get back to the sort of the the frame of like all these people worked for you and now you hate them and now they seem to not trust you I mean that. There's a report out uh, this week, <clears throat> which follows on 
uh, something kind of teased uh, on the last episode, uh, which is uh, suggesting that the, um, those close to Trump and part of his team believe that the next turncoat uh, is uh, is Mark Meadows. Um, that mm-hmm. apparently they have been exchanging uh, the uh, on on the various text threads between Trump <laughs> Trump team members um, that they refer to Meadows by just using the rat emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which which is uh, it's rather humorous, but I also think that you know it's funny because Meadows wrote this book that was just you know glowing about uh, his time serving with uh, Donald Trump as chief of staff, and the the you know general sort of tenant of tenant of that book was you know Trump's a great guy and that he was going to be on that team going forward. Uh, now it seems that uh, Trump both hates Meadows because he's put him in this position just because of uh, by dint of having the the recording that was featured uh, in uh, in this indictment uh, of him apparently waving things around, which he claims was not some secret document. He said it was papers and 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 uh, you know how you get around that. I'm really not sure, but um, the thing that is, you know, especially when there are witnesses involved, but you know, clearly there's some resentment there, and there's this feeling that he might uh, he might have turned. Uh, and you know uh, the the great quote in the in the piece is something like you know Meadows people said that you know he would just cooperate and tell the truth where where he was asked to do so and that this didn't sit very well with the Trump team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, so when it comes to like you know how do you staff up your next admin? It's kind of like who's going to want to work for you if at the end they just know that the only way the story ends is with them getting burnt. Yeah, well, you know, it is, so there you have to separate. On the one hand, he could he could fill his cabinet quite easily with Marge Green types, right? I mean, that he's not going to have a he's not going to have any problem staffing his cabinet. Again, there's two there's two real concerns. One is just from a basic effectiveness standpoint, right? So, you know, we saw huge problems in Trump's first administration with the chain of command and with people in the military and 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 the and the various you know cabinet departments under actively passively overtly covertly undermining um you know the executive executive authority and executive chain of command and frankly the constitutional order and you know you might think as i guess i do if you put a gun to my head that some of that was salutary even if a lot of it wasn't but it's still you know as someone who you know, supports the rule of law, it's still a huge problem. Um, and so so one is from a basic effectiveness standpoint, you know, and and the and the other is, um, you know, from from a standpoint of just, you know, is it good for the country? So 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 is, is it good for, you know, Trump's agenda such as it is? And I take um, I take John's point about, you know, Trump himself was perhaps the least interested person among his senior staff in draining the swamp, at least the least actively engaged in that process. Um, but, you know, you can kind of think of it in, in terms of the of the project Trump associates himself with are the kind of people that he can staff as ca- a cabinet and senior executive appointments with capable of doing that job. And two, you know, even if they can master the kind of paperwork inbox outbox, um, you know, federal register piece of it, you know, are these the kind of people that we actually want making policy? Do you want Marge Green to have, uh, you know, a, a, to write a white paper on the space lasers? You know, um, so so I mean, it's a, it's going to be a huge problem whether or not it's a problem for him to fill the cabinet. You know, the people he fills it with are are, are going to no doubt present a bunch of challenges themselves. 
but you can end up in an interesting situation. Now, now I would assume, and I think that sort of recent elections have borne out that the president is going to have, you know, an effect. If, if Trump wins, especially with the states that are on the board in the Senate, you'd imagine he is able to, you know, or those candidates are able to flip a few of those seats. But what happens if you have a, you know, if the current Senate holds and you have a 51-49 Democratic majority and you've got, you know, it's hard to see where the, the Venn diagram circles overlap between people willing to serve for Donald, Donald Trump and people that a you know majority Democratic Senate potentially would be willing to put in those positions, um, mm. you know, I think we'd be I think we'd be in a season of, uh, of of acting secretaries and acting you know everything down the line, and everybody would switch sides on recess appointments. Yeah, that's that's for dang sure. <laughs> well, um, so let's move on from that just to kind of the, the broad assessment of that interview and what you saw from Trump in it because. I certainly saw someone who uh, seemed tired, seemed worn out, uh, seemed uh, kind of, uh, you know, not his normal level of energy. He looked like a 77 year old, 77 year old guy. Um, and also, I just kind of think that we we shouldn't underestimate how much these legal woes uh, detract from your ability to focus on uh, to the degree that Trump does focus on, you know, actually winning. And I think that that's not something that you want to see if you want to have a strong uh, Republican candidate, uh, you know, come next fall. But it's also something where I just kind of think, you know, again, these are the two uh, things that you just can't get around, you know, Biden's age and, uh, and Trump's legal woes. Uh, And I think that, you know, this isn't the end of them. I think that we're going to have more out of Georgia, you know, soon enough. Uh, And I don't anticipate that we're going to have any resolution of this uh, prior to the presidential election. So just in, in terms of your overall, uh, view of his aspect john what did you think because i just felt like ah you know this this guy definitely looks like like he's actually some of these hits have been have been taking him down a notch in terms of his energy level i think that's right uh you know i think you saw a lot of i think that if, if you had just read a transcript i think you would say it was to some degree sort of the trump that we've seen going back to you know the the golden escalator but you're right. When you could sort of it, the, a little bit of the heat had come off the fastball, and his ability to push back there was not the same sort of playfulness and the showmanship. Um, you you have to think that the the, the court stuff has got to be wearing on him, as it as it would would as it would would as it would on anybody. Um, but and, and I think that his sort of pivots into things it, it would be it were just basically non sequiturs. You know, it would be whatever Bear was asking about. You know, you have all the you know, abandoned by your your cabinet or what have you. And it was just like, well, the economy was great. Um, which is, you know, again, sort of a hobby horse for me is yes, the presidents have, you know, some responsibility for the economy. And again, I'll do credit to the president for, you know, pushing, you know, t- tax reductions, tax simplification, reduction of, of, you know, the regulatory state, but, you know, Congress was involved with that too, as were, you know, everyone that you know owns or runs or works at businesses in America. Um, and again, this is not, it's something both sides are, are guilty of, but, uh, you know, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't impressed. And I think some of his, you know, I think his rationale, particularly when, when, when Brett Baer was pushing on uh, the boxes of stuff in uh, Mar-a-Lago that, Hey, I still have like clothes in there. But, like what, what have you been wearing for the last couple of years then? If you, you know, basically if all your stuff is still in these boxes, like it's, you know, old high school, you know, champion trophies and, and things like that. Um, it, it just didn't sound super plausible to me. But 
um, you know, probably not the the target audience for, for, for him or, you know, for, for that, you know, line of argument. Yeah, I would just, I, I guess I would say I generally agree that he looks a little bit diminished, not, not in a huge way. I, and I think it's a little bit of a Rorschach. I, I've heard very positive reviews from skeptics and supporters alike. I've talked about this in the last couple of days. So there's a little bit of eye of the beholder there. I think he looks a little diminished. So I would agree with you, but I would just add one thing. It's important to, rem to remember, I think, Ben, to your point about, you know, is this going to detract from him winning? This is a single project for Trump. His legal case, his legal woes and his race for the presidency are not just sort of overlapping the one caused the other, in my view. I mean, more or less. I might, it might, it might, you know, he might have run anyway. I mean, probably would have run anyway. But the fact that he saw all this coming down the pike, I think, guaranteed this run. And I think that this run is in, is first and foremost a legal strategy. I, I really believe that. Um, and I, you know, I kind of, and, and I, I believe that from the start, and kind of with less evidence than I think there is now. I think it's pretty clear. You know, both from the kind of stalking horse uh, Ramaswamy questions like, will you guarantee a pardon on day one? You know, and to the way he, you know, he, he answered and dodged in that interview that his first play is to complicate legal proceedings by running and ideally by winning the presidency. Right. Um, and I mean, that's it's kind of kind of amazing how momentous a sentence that is, but I think it's it's absolutely the best, you know, the the theory with the most evidence right now. And so he needs to, he, he, he insofar as he sees his his personal fate intertwined with the outcome of the Republican primary and the the general election, I think he'll be plenty motivated to deliver that old Trump magic, such as it is, um, you know, d down the stretch. Um, I, you know, I also think even if he somehow, even if one of the challengers somehow manages to pull off what at this point is an upset and, you know, unseat him, um, then he can still hope to, um, you know, A, get that, you know, promised pardon if a Republican wins the presidency. Um, and if you listen to some people, even if a Democrat wins, right, there are there are sort of there is this sort of odd, small but real chorus of people calling for, you know, healing by, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pardoning Trump. So and and then last of all, you know, he can just hope to influence more jurors, a bigger a bigger slice of the jury pool. It's not like there's any it's not like there's anyone in the state of Florida who hasn't heard of Donald Trump. Right. Yes. But, Particularly but, rural jurors. Right. <laughs> yeah. The rural jurors. Um, but in any um, event, you know, so he's got so he's there's there's a lot that he can do through his through his rate, you know, his run <clears throat> to help his legal case. I still think I still think it was a mistake for him to sit down for the interview. Um, in uh, you know, as uh, as Ron White, you know, was uh, <laughs> once said, you know, I had the right to remain silent. I just did not have the ability. <laughs> and so uh, the thing that I think that uh, is regrettable about this is that he's locked in basically now into this this type of defense. Um, when I'm sure his lawyers would have rather preferred to have some options on the table in order to move around but uh but now he's locked in and we'll we'll see where it goes uh, but of course that was not the only legal development uh in the past week uh we have seen the uh purported resolution of Hunter Biden's woes 
uh, in a, a, a plea that includes two misdemeanors related to failure to pay tax on a little over a million dollars. Um, 1.2 million over about uh, two years is basically the reported figure. And then a gun felony charge, which will go away if he uh, completes uh, a program. We'll see how that goes and whether he actually has to show up or not. Um, and uh, you know, this has some people kind of uh, up in arms on the right uh, because of, you know, two tiered justice system, et cetera. If his name wasn't Biden, you know, would he be getting away with all this? And then, of course, on the media side uh, or the left, uh, uh, you have uh, Joe Scarborough going on uh, and saying uh, that only conspiracy theorists uh, would continue to pursue this case. And there's there's nothing to see here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, John, I think you and I uh, uh, have a disagreement about this, but, uh, you know, just zooming back out of this, if you told me that the uh, the former president of the United States was found to have had 31 classified documents in boxes in this property, I would find that of concern. If you told me that the son, the drug addict, uh, no uh, resume to comport to it, uh, son, was given $10 million by the Chinese, the red Chinese, uh, which then went through a network of LLCs set up on his behalf uh, all, all across the country, including payments that went to even as far down as the granddaughter of the now president of the United States for apparently nothing at all. I would find that more concerning <laughs> personally. I think that the, I think that one of those is actually a lot more concerning than the than thirty one classified documents. Um, that's just me. <laughs> so so I feel like this is a situation where you know Republicans are going to respond to this by frankly leaning in and demanding that the D- Justice Department tell them whether this case is truly resolved as Hunter Biden's legal representation claims, uh, or whether it is ongoing as the uh, special counsel in this case, uh, uh, Mr. Weiss, uh, claims. Uh, because obviously in an ongoing investigation, that's their excuse for not sharing a bunch of info and, and that sort of thing that the Congress has requested. Uh, what do we think that this does to Biden and to uh, you know any of the, the potential for these things to factor into the 2024 election? It helps Trump, right? Do you have a, a situation now where he can say, look, I'm being persecuted by my opponent who is you know, enabled a sweetheart deal for, for his own son. Um, I, I think, you know, we're, we're, and I, I think you probably agree in part, and maybe it's just sort of in, in our modulation on this. I think they're both troubling. I think the Trump thing is more troubling because Hunter Biden is not, nor has he been the president of the United States um, and did not have, you know, purportedly uh, attack plans for, for Iran that if they, you know, fell into the wrong hands could put, you know, service members in harm's if, way. At if some they point were the at that Rehoboth beach house, they were gone by the time it was searched. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the least that shows enough carefulness there to, to get rid of it as opposed to you know, just sort of tell, uh, you know, tell your valet to, to hide it. Um, look, I, I'm not to the manner born. My dad wasn't a real estate developer. My dad wasn't a Senator. I think both of them are troubling. And I think, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of anyone else that was in that fact pattern, uh, I can't remember, it was a former U.S. attorney that was on Twitter basically saying anyone else is looking at minimum five years, um, you know, for for the fact pattern for for Hunter Biden. Um, yeah, you know, just for the gun plus drugs situation, uh, I, I think in fact, um, 
you know, the money not even entering into it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, 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 but, but just, just from through the frame of like 2024, is this, it does this stuff matter or does it actually distract? Like, because Republicans will be taught, it will obviously be talking about it. I actually just recorded an interview with James Comer, uh, which will be out on my Fox podcast uh, uh, in the next couple of days. But, you know, I put this question to him, you know, it doesn't, does it actually become in some ways harmful for Republican chances if you're talking about that instead of talking about, you know, issues that are a lot more consistent with where independent voters vote? I think absolutely. I'm sorry, Dan, but just as as a last note, I think that even with all of this, and we've talked about this with even how DeSantis is framing, you know, his primary appeal, it's really, it loses focus on voters and on kitchen table issues where there are things that are in the wheelhouse of all these candidates, whether it's, you know, what's being taught in schools, whether schools are open, um, you know, the the stuff that's going on with, you know, parental rights out in California um, that are, are in the wheelhouse and, you know, it's embarrassing, you know, for for the president, for President Biden. But you know, I think it's priced in. I think it's in the same way that the the Trump problems are priced in for him. I don't I don't know that that really changes, you know, how the country thinks of either of these guys relative to how they felt about them, you know, three years ago or two and a half years ago. Um, you know, the question is for those voters that you know were Obama to Trump to Biden voters. You know, does this meaningfully make them regret their decision one way or the other? And I, I don't I don't think it probably does. I mean, I think if anything, I think that it's probably a small come out ahead for for Biden. But we'll see. Well, there's a little bit of data on that, right? There was I forget who did it. Maybe it was Kristen Soltis Anderson or maybe I'm making that up and not giving someone else credit. But there was a, a focus group of exactly those voters. Right. Well, they were certainly Trump to Biden voters. Right. And I think I think nine out of 11 people in the focus group. Um, maybe this was in your your uh, last newsletter yeah. event where I read this. Yeah. So is so the so those people the people who are concerned about Biden for whatever reason, right? Um, I, in this case, they were asking about age, but you know, there's a, there's a connection with this sort of trouble, which is to say, you know, it, th- those people in that focus group said, okay, yeah, we we have serious concerns about Biden's age or issue X, Y, or Z. You know, the overwhelming majority have such concerns. They don't want him to run again. They'd rather somebody else be running. They've been disappointed by his term in office so far. Everything you could possibly ask for if you're running against an incumbent president. And yet nine out of 11 of them said, oh, yeah, but we're still going to vote for him. Right. So that, that that's the I think the fundamental dynamic here. So, you know, I guess I'll kind of half agree with John. I think I think the the Hunter stuff matters because it blunts any kind of effect that or most of 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 the effect that the the trump legal troubles will have on the kind of very odd in my view swing voters who do have who did make that switch right from 16 to 20 um and you know i think in in that situation you know it i don't know what that means maybe it comes down to fundamentals maybe it just means if we have a recession guess what president trump and if we, you know, stick the soft landing, guess what? You know, president, you know, floating head of Joe Biden in a jar, right? <laughs> um, you know, so I don't I, I don't know how it shakes out, but I, I do think they cancel each other out because, like, you know, we've been saying, you know, every time Trump gets caught breaking some law or norm, you know, you almost immediately, like the next day, find out that the guys on the other side in good standing did the exact same thing in maybe a little bit more high class 
way, showing a little less skin or uttering the right shibboleths. And that has an effect on voters who, by the way, don't have the attention span. And I'm not criticizing them. They don't have the attention span to get into the facts of the case. They just know in broad terms, you know, that these guys, you know, are both dirty and both, you know, and, and so if both the guys are dirty, then I guess it does come down to fundamentals, but you'd rather have, you know, two great candidates, you know, that, that comes down to fundamentals uh, as opposed to two pretty crappy ones. <laughs> well, uh, there's one other person who's obviously paying uh, in the news a lot in the last couple of weeks who is paying a lot of attention to this. And that's uh, California's own uh, Gavin Newsom, who, you know, uh, sat down with Sean Hannity, you know, uh, about a week and a half ago and was hosting a fundraiser uh, with Joe Biden out in California uh, uh, just the other day. He's clearly uh, positioning himself as the guy you turn to in uh, in case Joe tumbles into an orchestra pit or, you know, <laughs> in case of breaking glass. Uh, but I have a question for you, John, you can weigh in on this. The, doesn't Gavin Newsom actually have to run for president at some point here in order to get a leg up on any kind of Kamala replacement? Because if he doesn't run, you can't really swap out Kamala for him. They obviously hate each other uh, from the California days. But, like, you know, this is not a situation where he can just kind of waltz into it. He has to actually run at some point and get delegates, doesn't he? I think he's got a delicate dance to play. And, you know, it, it becomes sort of the scene in Wedding Crashers, right, where it's, you know, do we hug? Is it an out hug? You know, is it a kiss? Is it too much of a kiss? And I think he's kind of in that space right now that if he if he were to declare and start or even even just to start the machinery. And I think you kind of see it now of what it would take to start a run. Uh, you know, I think if he if he forces Biden out of the race or, you know, in any way is perceived as damaging Biden, who, well, maybe not loved by Democratic voters, I think is seen as a is a unifying figure, right? He's a he's a, he's a neutral, you know, no faction hates him. That's kind of his magic. Everyone's okay with him. And if if you push him off the stage in a way that's not of his own, you know, of his own choosing, I don't know how well that goes over. It certainly doesn't go over well with with the vice president. And I think, you know, as the you know, the first um, you know, the first woman, you know, the first you know minority candidate in that office. I think she's going to have something to say about getting passed over, you know, ostensibly by Gavin Newsom. You know, where does the, you know, where does sort of the Biden network go, so to speak, in that kind of situation? But I think, it, conversely, I think that the thing that Newsom has going for him is he's the big cover, the biggest state in the country, and I'm assuming that his fundraising network has been working towards this for some time. And if it's not 24, it'll be 28, right? And it may be easier for him to flip the switch late than it would be for, for most other people. Newsom is certainly making all the moves um, as he moves around the country, uh, you know, and picking fights with, with DeSantis and others um, of somebody that kind of wants to be in it, but it seems like he kind of needs, um, you know, he kind of needs his, you know, political Gulf of Tonkin sort of moment to give him license to be able to get into a race. He does seem to want to run in. Yeah, I think I think the Democrats are, first of all, just rank speculation. But honestly, you know, I don't think Biden running again was and I mean this when I say it, ultimately his decision. I, I think he was I think he was willing to keep the sort of whispered promise of 2020, you know, the sort of Soto Voce promise that he'd be a caretaker and pass the baton. 
and I think essentially he was sort of managed um, and and shuffled into this decision. And I think the Democrats have really penned themselves in on the chessboard with their moves because Kamala Kamala would be a disaster, and I think they know that. And yet they can't ask Joe to leave if she doesn't agree to also step aside. Um, and and then Newsom, you know, I, I understand he kind of looks and talks and sounds like a politician, but he has what I call a Terry McAuliffe problem, which is that I hate his face. <laughs> um, and I just hate his big rat face. I've called I've called him an ambulatory Sauvignon Blanc, I think, in the past. <laughs> Um, he's just, uh, I, and I, I actually think people overestimate his general election appeal mm-hmm. considerably. I think people like him because he's a kind of articulate white guy and a lot of Democrats who are sort of decision makers, um, in the primaries and, you know, in the sort of, uh, you know, kingmaker, you know, class of Democrats think that he might give them a kind of Biden presence, right? Which is what John said. He's not, you know, maybe, you know, he, he can appeal just enough to the different factions and be white and male enough that they can, you know, um, you know, you know, run him against anyone the Republicans, you know, put up. Um, but I think he's got a huge problem in a general. Um, I just think he's very hateable, very, very hateable. And when the country sees him for an hour on a debate stage, I think that'll come through. You know, I, <clears throat> I've heard, you know, time and again, he was going to be somebody who had this kind of powerful national appeal. And I don't underestimate him in terms of his savvy or cutthroat nature as a politician, but I do think you're dead on accurate about the, the, the fact that he does, he comes across <clears throat> as a smarmy white wine drinking Californian who looks down on the rest of the country. And that's the type of person who can do very, very well in California, but doesn't export well. I think that for a lot of Democrats, they're going to end up regretting what they did to Andrew Cuomo because, as much as I think that he uh, was, you know, you know, obviously we're talking about California and New York. He is as New York as Newsom is California in certain mm-hmm. ways. I think that Andrew Cuomo actually had more of an export ability. Uh, like I think that he could have played in certain parts of the country as a kind of tough guy version of, uh, you know, a, a Democrat tough guy. Um, in a way that they would respond to, um, especially, yeah. especially you know, uh, people who are tired of kind of these wussy Democratic men like Beto and Corey and, you know, all these other uh, folks um, who, you know, have to kind of scream and yell and swear to try to seem like they're tough. They want um, a man with nipple rings, you know. That's yeah. the- <laughs> yeah. he, he he likes pain. He likes pain. He can take it. <laughs> no, but the, the, but the thing is that, you know, uh, with, with Newsom, I just think the people were fond of using the term oleaginous about, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ted Cruz. But to me, he really does seem like a guy who and I have shaken his hand. Uh, There's a picture of me smiling and shaking his hand. In fact, years ago at MSNBC, um, I I still keep it. And so you can't use it against me. It's not blackmailable material. I acknowledge it. Um, But he just seems like someone who puts on way too much cream. (laughs) You know, you can you can you can. uh, Put a little dab under your uh, under your eyes if you want. You can you can put on some sunscreen if you want. But uh, uh, dude, you know, you, just like the guy seems like he bathes in lots of of uh, nice smelling soaps that are 
made out of things that you know uh, you would use if you were American Psycho or something like that. I was going to say it's Patrick Bateman for president. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're right about Cuomo. I mean, I don't. I, I think he's got his own problems. But look, he's an he's a coastal ethnic white, which is what the Democrats elected to run against Trump last time. They sort of matched the the coastal, you know, yeah. braggadocio, and you know, a little bit in off the coast, I guess, you know, in Scranton. But it's so it's the same kind of deal. And, and the last thing I'll say about Newsom is imagine the debate with DeSantis, right? You want to make issues about DeSantis's so, you know, SOCON, you know, mm. woke war uh, agenda in the state of Florida. Man, you could go tit for tat yeah. um, with Newsom in California, and it would scare the bejesus out of a lot of swing voters in North Carolina, mm. you know? Yeah, well, I think I think that's definitely. I mean, I I, I certainly would enjoy seeing that. I don't think we're going to get it, uh, but if we do, we will be here to talk about it afterwards. Uh, this has been Thunderdome, and we will be back soon to talk more about all the fights, all the scrums, and all the craziness of the twenty twenty four election. Mm-hmm.